Amen. Thank you so much. All right. Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and let's go to the book of John. All right. And some of you are like, I thought we was in Jonah. Well, we, we are and have been in Jonah for quite some time. But for this morning, we'll be in the book of John. All right. And we'll try to finish up Jonah very soon, maybe even this evening as well. But today is uh, the Sunday before Easter. And historically, this Sunday has been considered Palm Sunday. All right. And uh, this Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Easter, it represents really the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem because he came at that moment to Jerusalem as our Savior. It was on that day he entered Jerusalem to be a sacrifice, the spotless Lamb of God, sacrificed to take away the sin of the world. And uh, this event and Sunday, really, the Sunday before, can be easily overlooked, uh, seeing it's in the shadow of the next Sunday, Easter, Easter Sunday. But both of these days and events are uh, very important in the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus and, of course, the life of every believer. And uh, so we don't want to just skip it over, all right? It's very important to, to consider. So I want to consider that this morning. And uh, really the title of the message is this, if you're taking notes, is a triumphal entry into Jerusalem, all right? It's simple. The triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And though there are many texts we can consider as we look at this entry into Jerusalem, the main one I'm going to look at today is John chapter 12, all right? John chapter 12, and we'll start in verse number 12 in just a moment. But as you're turning there, uh, we need to keep the context of the text in mind, which is always good to do. It's always good to keep context in mind, all right? You can say amen right there. That's a good thing. Okay, you can say amen to that. Uh, it's always key and good to keep the context of the text in, in mind. So keep in mind, as you come to chapter 12 and verse number 12, Jesus has just left the town of Bethany where he um, raised Lazarus from the dead. It was there as well. He spent some time with his disciples at Martha's house, who believed to be her house. It's there that she, Martha, served the Lord, served the disciples as well. It would be there where Mary anointed the very body of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, of course, in preparation for his death and burial. Uh, but she anointed his body with the, the ointment spikenard, if you remember that story, very costly, very precious ointment. But she did this because she knew what was coming. She knew what was about to happen. Uh, she knew that Jesus was going to give his life a ransom for many, but how did she know this and the rest just kind of went over their head? Well, if you remember, it's Mary who spent a good amount of her time where? At the feet of Jesus, listening to his word. And so she knew what was coming, and so she was preparing him for that death and for his burial because she'd been listening and knew what was about to happen. So they left, just left Bethany. And now come to Jerusalem for a feast. Now this feast, not just any feast, it's the feast of the Passover. Now, I think it'd be good for us to understand what, uh, I'll do it in a nutshell, all right, do it quickly, but understand what the feast of the Passover was all about, all right? So the feast of the Passover is one of the most important feasts uh, in Jewish history and uh, probably the most celebrated, no doubt, but uh, this would last up to seven days. And many people would come, many Jewish people and even Gentiles would come from around the world, but especially around that area, to Jerusalem for to worship. And the purpose of this feast was this, to commemorate the exodus 
of the Hebrews from the Egyptian bondage. And if you remember, what did the Lord use or what did He do to accomplish this task of getting His people out of Egypt? It was the ten plagues, right? Now, that was the main thing He used to finally get the attention of, uh, of Pharaoh and the rest of, of the Egyptians. He used the plagues of the blood, frogs, lice. Everybody starts doing this, all right? Flies, pestilence, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, but the final one. Uh, the final one, that was the one that really got the attention of the people. It was the one that really got the attention, especially of Pharaoh himself. But what was that one, that last one that got their attention? Well, it was, it was death. It was the death of the firstborn, and no doubt that evening, when the death, the death angel passed over, and those that did not apply the blood to the post and mantle of the door, when they did not see that blood, the firstborn died, and no doubt many mothers and fathers and other family were heard screaming, screaming out as they found their firstborn perished and dead. Why did this happen? Why did that happen? You see, it didn't have to, though, really. It didn't have to. Their firstborn didn't have to die. You see, God always makes a way for, for, to escape death, to escape this plague. He always makes, makes a way. And, of course, the way to escape that, that last plague was this, to sacrifice a spotless lamb. It was to take the lamb's blood and apply it upon the post and mantle of the door of that house. And then, as the death angel passed over, uh, the house, he saw the blood, he would pass over your house and you'd be saved. Hence the word Passover, the feast of Passover. But the only way that could happen was through a sacrificed lamb. And everyone that believed and took heed to the warning of Moses, well, they lived. And those that did not, they suffered great, great loss. So that's the Passover in a nutshell. And ever since that time and ever since that year, the Jews would celebrate Passover. And to celebrate this Passover, they would come to Jerusalem for to worship. But every household or family would bring a little lamb to the temple during the Feast of Passover. And that lamb had to be one year old, male, and without blemish. And then the priest would examine the lamb that was given for sacrifice for that family, for that household. Examine the lamb to make sure it was pure and without blemish. Then they would take the lamb, they would kill the lamb, and then prepare the lamb for, a specific, for that specific household, all in recognition of what the Lord had done for the Hebrews when He brought them up out of their Egyptian bondage. So that's what they were doing. That's why people were coming, doing just that, recognition of what God had done so many years prior. And everything that was happening in this celebration was really just a painting or a picture, if you will, of what was to take place in just a few short days from this entry on Mount Calvary as Jesus would lay down His life for the sin of the world. As He laid down His life on the cross of Calvary where He would give Himself a sacrifice for the remission and forgiveness and propitiation of our sins. As the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, "...in whom we have redemption through His blood." the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. Colossians 1.14, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins, 
Romans 5, 9, much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. Hebrews 9, 13. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood. He entered into the, once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. So understand, as we come to this day here in our text where Jesus enters Jerusalem, it would have been this very same day that families would have come with their loved ones. They would have come with a lamb for their sacrifice and celebration of this feast of Passover. So try to picture it in your mind. I'm giving you all this, trying to paint a picture, all right? So I want you to picture in your, in your mind that thousands of people are coming to Jerusalem, into the holy city to worship. Try to picture mom and daddy holding hands with their kids, all right? Walking into the temple. And as many of you came into church this morning holding hands with your kids, that's great, love to see it. But try to picture thousands of people doing that, going into Jerusalem, but behind them. Or maybe tucked under their arm, I'm not sure. But let's just say uh, behind them, they were, they were pulling with them a, a lamb. Maybe on a leash type thing, all right? I don't know, maybe it's tucked under their arm. But nonetheless, they were bringing a lamb with them. It's really a very precious picture and sight to behold and think about and see. As families, thousands of them coming to Jerusalem. But in the midst of all these people, in the midst of this day, in the midst of these families bringing their little lambs, God the Father sends His own Lamb through that same gate into that same city in which thousands are entering and have entered for many years. God the Father sends His own Lamb. But this is no ordinary Lamb. No, this was God's Lamb. This was the Lamb of God. As John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. This is the Lamb we're speaking of and His name is Jesus. Jesus walking in as the perfect Lamb of God. In the midst of these people, thousands of them, carrying their own little lamb that they've had and for the past year taken care of for this special purpose of sacrifice at the Feast of Passover. But here comes Jesus. Right on time. For the specific purpose of being a sacrifice for the sin of all, of all the world. And really he is coming triumphantly. And even the people would shout out and cry out victoriously and say, Hosanna, blessed is the King of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord, in verse number 13. But they were doing this because of the many great things that they knew he had already accomplished the many miracles, even the raising of Lazarus. You can see that in verse 17 and 18. We'll read in just a moment. But they were doing all that for that purpose. So they knew of the great things he had done, but the greatest thing he was going to do has yet to come as he laid down his life again for our sin. Be buried and three days later rise again from the grave. The greatest thing he was ever going to do is just a few short days. So as we come to John chapter 12, understand even Jesus makes a statement in John 12. His hour has come. His hour has come and it starts here with the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, as we call it, Palm Sunday. But as he comes and enter, enters into Jerusalem on, on this Sunday before Easter, as he enters Jerusalem triumphantly, what happens? 
what do people what do people do? How do they respond? Do they know the significance of what's going on here? Do they understand this precious picture? Yes, as they're holding hands, no doubt, with family, carrying their own little lamb under their arm, but knowing the Lamb of God is right there too, going through that same city gate into the holy city Jerusalem. Do they understand the significance and how do they respond to such, such an event? There's three responses I want to see this morning. And our first one is this, number one. As Jesus enters triumphantly into Jerusalem, response number one is this. People were excited. People were excited. Look at verse number 12. John 12, verse verse number 12. On the next day, much people that were come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna! Blessed is the King of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he had found a young ass, sat thereon as it is written... And that's Zechariah 9.9, by the way. If you want to put that out beside that verse, Zechariah 9.9. As it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, thy king cometh sitting on an ass's colt. These things understood not his disciples at the first. But when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that these things were written of him, and that they had done these things unto him. The people, therefore, that, that was with him when he called Lazarus out of the grave and raised him from the dead, bear record. For this cause, the people also met him, and they, and they, for they that heard, uh, heard, I'm sorry, back up, for that they heard that he had done this miracle. Here it is, verse number 19. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, Perceive ye how ye prevail nothing, behold, the world has gone after him. We understand and see here, people are excited that Jesus has made his way to Jerusalem, but not for reasons you would expect, right? As we look back and have the privilege of reading the whole canon of Scripture, uh, they're not excited for the same reasons we would be. You see, they're not excited that He had come to die for their sins or to give His life a ransom for many, to give eternal life, to provide eternal life for all mankind. That's not why they excited that He had come. Rather, they were excited that Jesus had come into Jerusalem that day for this reason, at least in their mind. They thought that He had come to set up His earthly kingdom at this moment. To, to rid the area of Roman rule, to set Israel free, just as the Lord had done uh, for the Hebrews in Egypt. That's why they thought he had come at this moment. So here at this entry, uh, they were excited. And they rehearsed a celebration of victory that the Jews had won uh, many years prior to this. And really that victory had become a tradition for them, all right? Uh, but some 200 years prior to this entry, Jerusalem was under the control of another cruel nation, the nation of Syria. And the king of Syria hated the Jews and humiliated them into submission. But a man by the name of Judas Maccabee would rise up. He would gain an army of following and to fight the Syrians with guerrilla warfare tactics. And after nine years, he would gain the victory and push Syria out from Jerusalem. But after the victory... History says that Maccabee and his men, as they entered the city, the people celebrated this by waving palm branches in the air. And since that time, palm branches became a symbol of victory. And the branch, by the way, palm branch was even put on the back of the Jewish coin as a symbol of deliverance from oppression. All right? So that's kind of a history nugget there for you. But so here in this moment, as the people are cutting off branches and waving them like flags in a victorious-like fashion, 
at this entry here and cast him in the way at the feet of Jesus or at the feet of the donkey as Jesus was riding him. Uh, they would lift up their voices and shout, Hosanna, meaning, meaning save us now. Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel. When they were doing that, they were saying this, finally. Oh, finally. Man, we're getting victory. This is great. Finally, we're going to be free from the Roman oppression that we've been suffering for so long. Finally, we have another Judas Maccabee. And at this moment, they're looking at Jesus and maybe thanking him, thinking that he's yet another, another Maccabee, right? Mother Maccabee is here, but listen, that's not why he came. They were excited for that potential. Maybe that's why he's here, but that's not why he came. That, that's, that's, that's not, Jesus not just some, another Maccabee. He's not just another ruler. Not just another uh, victor. No, no, no. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. But he wasn't coming at this moment to set up a kingdom. Earthly kingdom at this moment. He wasn't coming at this, at this moment so the Jews be set free from bondage of Rome. Rather, he's coming to set them free from the bondage and penalty of sin. He was coming at this moment not to free them from persecution, but to free them from the wrath of God. They would suffer in hell. That's why he was, that's why he was coming. Not just to give peace in Jerusalem, but truly to give them peace with God. That's why Jesus was making this victorious entry into Jerusalem. Romans 5.1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. But at this moment, the people were excited for another reason thinking that he's coming, he's coming to give us deliverance from, from our oppressors. And now is our chance, seeing that we, he's done so many mighty things, seeing he's even raised the dead, we've got to crown him at this moment as our king. Let's march forth. There's nothing he can't do. Let's take our country back, that type of thing. That's why they were excited. But Jesus was coming for another reason, not for the physical kingdom, but for the spiritual kingdom. Not for the here and now, but for the hereafter. God had bigger and better plans for all these people at this moment. Not just for these people, but for the whole world, for you and for me as well. So these pilgrims, they were excited. They were excited that he's coming, but they didn't grab a hold, at least a full grasp of the meaning of the entry of Lord Jesus Christ into Jerusalem just yet. Even his disciples didn't fully grasp it or perceive the reason either until later on. You can see in verse 16, all right. They didn't fully grasp it yet. They were excited, but for the wrong reasons. And then I want to see this response, number two. The Greeks were seeking. Look at verse number 20. I love what, what one of them says here in verse 21. We'll get to it in a minute. But look at verse number 20 through 22. And there were certain Greeks among them that come up to worship at the feast. Then the same came therefore to Philip, which was a Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, listen to this phrase, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again Andrew and Philip tell, tell Jesus. Here we see that the Greeks had come to Jerusalem for to worship during this time of Passover, and we don't know if they were uh, proselytes uh, necessarily or if they were just God-fearing Gentiles that were attracted to the uh, Jewish religion, uh, like the Ethiopian eunuch himself, being a Gentile, right, came to Jerusalem for to worship, but he came there uh, uh, to worship, but he, he found the Lord Jesus in, instead when Philip the Evangelist preached unto him. Do you remember that in Acts chapter number 8, right? But that's why he came to Jerusalem. Well, these same Greeks, these same Gentiles did the same. That's why they're here. They've come seeking. 
Uh, they've come wanting to know the truth. They've come to Jerusalem seeking truth and light and God. And as they came, no doubt, they heard the commotion, saw the commotion, heard the praises of the people, heard the people say, Hosanna, blessed is the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. Matthew, Matthew said it this way as he described in the same event, Matthew 21 verse 10, the whole city was moved, meaning that's to shake or to quake. Maybe the, the, the city walls were rumbling with all the excitement and people screaming out and hollering out, you know, all the commotion. And they were seeing this and hearing this and want to know what it's all about, these Greeks. I don't know what's all this about, but as the seekers got closer to the commotion, they began to hear what it was all about. They began to hear the name on which people spoke. They began to hear people speak the name Jesus. Matthew 21, 11. This is, this, this is what Matthew said, as the people said, this is Jesus the prophet of Nazareth. They began to hear what it was all about. Now surely these individuals, they have known. They even came and said, sir, we would see Jesus. So that tells them they, they have known a little bit about Jesus. Surely they've heard about the Lord from others. Maybe they heard it from the Samaritans in John chapter 4. Oh, we know at least the, the Gentiles and Samaritans, they were at least um, half cousins on their mama's side. All right. That's because Samaritans were half Jewish and half Gentile, right? Uh, so maybe they heard it from, from them. And even the woman at the well said this, we, meaning the Samaritans, we, we know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ, he will tell us all things. And Jesus at the well that day told her all things about herself. And she heard the word of the Lord and she believed on Jesus as her Savior then went back into the town and told all that would listen to her about this same Savior and about the Lord. And so maybe they heard about Jesus from her or somebody from the town of Samaria. Or maybe they heard from people of Decapolis you remember what happened at Decapolis? Decapolis is the, the place of ten Greek cities. It would be in eastern Palestine. But do you remember who Jesus sent there? To the area of Decapolis, he sent there the maniac of Gadara. And what did Jesus tell this man to do? Mark chapter 5, verse 19 through 20, go home to thy friends. The maniac wanted to go with Jesus, but he said, no, no, no i got something better for you. You need to go home to thy friends. Tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed and began to publish in the capitalists how great things Jesus had done for him and all men did marvel. Maybe they heard it from the maniac himself. Maybe they heard it from somebody he told. They, they heard the testimony somehow about Jesus and they came seeking Jesus. Sir, we would see Jesus. We don't know exactly who they heard it from. But we know they heard it from somebody. And they came to see Jesus. And the very first person they came up to as far as the disciples was Philip. Maybe because he had a Greek name, which was a good name, by the way. But anyway, he had a Greek name. He came up to Philip and maybe they thought he'd speak the same language. But he said, sir, we would see Jesus. That's an absolutely challenging, challenging statement to me. We would see, we would see Jesus. This is all he wanted. This was their greatest desire. This is whom they came seeking. Can I ask you a question real quick this morning? What is your greatest desire in life? Who is it, what is it that you want the most? I'm sure we could put a list of things 
of what our desires would be, but I'm going to tell you something. If we seek or desire something or someone other or more than the Lord Jesus himself, I'm going to tell you bluntly, our priorities are completely out of whack. Yes, whack is a Hebrew word, all right? Completely out of whack. Don't take my word for it. Listen to what Jesus said. Matthew 6, 33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Jesus, by the way, was speaking to folks whose priorities were way out of whack in that context. They were seeking everything else other than Christ, other than God, other than the kingdom of God. Their priorities were wrong. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Of God. Listen, our desire today and every day should be this phrase right here, Sir, we would see Jesus. So we see the Greeks came seeking. That was their greatest desire. But then notice this quickly as well, the greatest desire that Jesus had for them. Look at verse 22. I'm sorry, verse 23. And Jesus answered him saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die and bringeth forth much fruit, he that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it to life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this Hour, Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The people therefore that stood by heard it and, and said that it thundered. Others said an angel spake to him. And Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, here it is, listen. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said signifying what death he should die. The desire that Jesus had for these men as they had a desire for him was this. He wanted them to not meet him as a mere man or know him just as a good teacher, but know him as their Savior. And this is his desire, not just for these Greeks, but for the whole world as well. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 2, 4, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. This is what Jesus wants. This is his desire for everyone to be born again, for everyone to be saved, including you. And if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, his desire is for you to call upon him, to turn from your sin and call upon him as your Savior. Believe on him and be saved. This is what the Lord wants. And at this feast, at this triumphal entry, he proved that yet again as he was coming to be the Lamb of God for the sin of the world. But sadly, though he wants everyone, this brings me to my third point here and lastly, though he desires everyone to be saved, and though there are some folks that were excited, some folks wanted to see him, desired to see him, and he desires everyone to be saved, sadly, not everyone will. Not everyone wants him. So number three, see this. We see the Pharisees, their response was rejecting. Look at verse number 19. The Bible says, The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, Perceive ye how ye prevail nothing? Behold, the world is gone after him. Look at verse 37. But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. 
that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report? To whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe, because that Isaiah said again, He hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory and spake of him. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers, also many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. There were some that believed, but majority. Majority rejected. And time after time, when you come into contact, uh, contact with the Pharisees and you read Scripture about them, you find these guys responding the same way, with unbelief and with rejection. But again, this response is unnecessary. And it's horrendously sad to me to, to see that it's unnecessary. You say, why? Why do you say it's unnecessary for them to, to reject the Lord? Why do you say it's horrendously sad? Well, because these men, these Pharisees, the leaders of the Jews, they were very privileged people because they had a lot of light in their life. You see, these guys, even recently in, in the context, had experienced so many mighty works of Jesus himself, so many miracles. I believe there's some 35, 36 miracles recorded for us. We went through each one of them about a year ago. But so many miracles that they had seen. And yet the ones that were recorded for us is even more than that. But they'd seen so many. John said this in John 20, 30 through 31, And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. You see, in, in doing all these miracles, Jesus was showing who he was, showing his deity, showing his power over creation, over sickness and disabilities, over the spiritual realm, over the hordes of devils, right? Over even death itself, our final enemy. He showed his, his power and victory over all of that. He showed who he was and proved who he was. All in front of the disciples, yes, but the Pharisees too. These religious leaders as well, they knew, they knew what these miracles meant. Even one of their own came to Jesus by night, Nicodemus. You remember what he said? In John chapter 3, verse 1, 1 through 2, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. They knew they knew who he was, yet every time many of them would do this. Nope. I don't want it. They would reject him. But they had so much light. So much light recently given to them, but so much light in their past as well. Because these Pharisees knew more about the Bible than many of us combined. All right? Even, even at a young age, the Pharisees had the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, memorized. Have you tried to memorize Leviticus lately? They did. They had it memorized. Even the, the very clothing that they wore, they would have uh, verses sewn within their coats. And they thought they were so spiritual, they would take a, a little box called a phylactery, all right? Put a piece of scripture in that and wear it around their head. And they're, they're, they're saying to themselves and others, I'm hiding God's word in my heart, which is nothing but a show. They had so much scripture, so much light, and yet they rejected it every time. 
And they should have even known, listen, the significance about what's going on here, especially as they read Zechariah 9.9. They should have known this triumphal entry of Jesus coming into Jerusalem at this moment. Yet what did they do? They looked at it all and rejected it. You know, when you take a look at Mount Calvary, when you take a look at the cross, the cross of Christ really divides the whole world. So I want you to do something with me quickly this morning. Go with me to Mount Calvary in your mind. And picture on that, that uh, Golgotha, the skull, Mount the Skull there, Calvary. and Picture three crosses, all right? Now, of course, in the middle cross, that's, we know who that is. That's the Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. He's dying in your place and in mine. Done nothing to deserve the treatment and the penalty, yet willingly laying down his life. For us all. And then look at the cross on the left, all right? On the left hand cross, that's a uh, thief there. Uh, that thief is a horrible person, all right? His heart is as black as coal. He deserves the very punishment he is getting, seeing his punishment as the consequences of his own actions, yet he looks at Jesus. He sees the man in the middle cross, the Lord Jesus, sees his beaten and bloodied body, and here's the very gracious words out of his mouth of Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Here's many other sayings, the other sayings as well. There are seven of them. He hears them all of what Jesus said. And yet that thief on the left rejected. And then as you see those crosses there, Jesus in the middle, thief on the left, there's another one on the right. Well, who was that? Well, that's a thief too. He's a terrible person. His heart as well is black as coal. He deserves everything he is getting. His punishment is a consequence of his own actions, yet he too examines the same evidence as the thief on the left. He examines the same evidence, sees Jesus condemned to the same death that he himself, that thief, is facing and knows that Jesus has done nothing to deserve it. And the Bible says in Luke 23, 40, But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God? Seeing thou art in the same condemnation, we did indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man had done nothing amiss. He examined the evidence and knew Jesus didn't deserve this. And he hears the same precious words, yet after hearing and after examining, this thief does a, or makes a different decision than the other thief. You see, that thief on the right casts himself at the very mercy of King Jesus and says this, listen, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Luke 23 and verse 42. Why would he say thy kingdom if he never believed that he was not a king? Why would he call him Lord if he didn't believe he was sovereign God? He made a different decision. And then this thief, because of his different decision, he heard the most peaceful words he'd ever heard spoken to his soul. In Luke 23 verse 43, Jesus said unto him, Verily, meaning truly, this is going to happen. True, this is the truth. Verily, I say unto thee, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. But what was the difference? What made the difference, rather, in these two thieves' lives? Both were thieves. Uh, both were terrible, black-hearted sinners. Uh, both were dying. Both were getting what they deserve. But what was the difference? Uh, one said, if thou be Christ, save thyself and us. The other said, since you are Christ, remember me. Uh, they both of them examined the evidence. One said, I'm guilty, but he had done nothing amiss. One said, examined the evidence and, and said, I'm guilty, but he also railed on Jesus. 
One believed on the Lord, the other did not. Uh, one called upon Christ to save him, the other did not. Uh, one received the Lord Jesus, the other rejected Jesus. What made the difference? This is simple. I'll make it as simple as I can. You ready? What made the difference in these two lives, these two thieves, both were the same, right? Sinners deserving of the punishment. What made the difference in their life and ultimately eternal life is what they did with Jesus. So let me ask you a question this morning. What have you done with Jesus? What have you done with the Lord Jesus cross, Christ with the equation on that cross? What have you done with him? If you were one of the thieves, which one would you have been? Which one? What have you done with Jesus? Understand we're all sinners deserving the same punishment in hell forever. We all deserve that. Romans chapter 3, 23, for all have sinned to come short of the glory of God. We all deserve that. We all have. We all need Jesus. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In Romans 10, 13, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What have you done with him? We're all the same. The, the ground, as they say, is level at the foot of the cross. We're all the same, but what have you done? With Jesus Christ, have you received him? Or have you rejected him? Don't reject him anymore. But rather call upon him to save you today. And as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Receive him today. Trust Christ today. So this triumphal entry, there's many responses. There's many responses. And there's many responses sometimes when it comes to giving the gospel. But the main two are this. Believing it or rejecting it. That's the bottom line. Believe in the good news of Christ or, no, nah, I'll do it my own way. And there is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof, the ways of death. What will you do with Jesus? What will you do with the gospel? We're going to pray here in just a moment. And I want all of you, I encourage all of you to pray for this. I know that next, next Sunday is Easter. And many people around the country and around the world will celebrate that. They'll go to church. Many who do not normally go will go to church on Easter with their family or friends. But it's another opportunity for them to hear the gospel. And let's pray that they believe the gospel and receive Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. That's what I'm going to ask you to pray specifically. And maybe you have friends and family on your heart and on your mind. Pray for them specifically. Call their name after God. You know they need the Lord. Let's pray for that. Pray for these, these uh, invitations been giving out. That they'll read and see the gospel and trust Jesus as their Savior. We have to pray. We have to pray. Now many times, I, 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 still, I do this, don't get me wrong. I, I pray before I preach. Don't you think it's good your, your pastor to pray before he preaches? All right, a few of you. All right, good. But here's what we need to do too. I'm learning, I'm learning, always learning, right? We should always grow and learn it. Your, pa your pastor will know everything, just so you know that, okay. But, but after the gospel is preached, after the word of God is given, the Bible compares the word of God to a seed, right? And some of the ground that it falls upon is good ground. Some of it rocky. 
But the seed still, what of the ground it falls upon, the devil tries to snatch away. He's like that raven, right? Trying to snatch away the seed. Let's pray specifically, even after we give the gospel, that the seed of the word of God will take deep root and good ground and spring forth good fruit. Fruit, yes, of them trusting Christ to everlasting life, but fruit as believers as well. So pray with me. Pray with me on this matter because people need to hear. And maybe you're here this morning and you've heard it before, but you're hearing God's work and conviction in your heart. You know you need Christ. I'm going to tell you, please encourage you, please. Don't leave here until you get that settled. To believe on Him as your Savior. 